Hi, and welcome to the podcast ministry of New Life Church in Springfield, Ohio. We hope that the transformative truths of God's Word impact, challenge, and bless you. All or nothing. What comes to your mind whenever I say that? It's all or nothing, man. I'm a sports guy. I know some are, some aren't, but uh, you know that that's uh, you know, Tevin's not and said, yeah, that, that's what that's what it makes me think of. All it's all or nothing, man. We got we got to go for it. You know, it's all come down uh, to this. Like um, you know, I've, I've played a decent amount of football, um, and that kind of makes me think of a fourth down situation. Fourth and goal means there's no more first downs. There's no more. There's no more of that. There's you don't get any more retries. You don't get any more new fresh set of downs. It's it, it's you either get across the goal line or or you turn the ball over and you lose. Right? That fourth and goal situation is exciting. It's scary because you've got to go for it. There's, there, there's, no, there's nothing else for it. You've got to do it. Uh, you're either going to turn it over then either score the ball or turn it over. All or nothing. No more first downs. Let's see. Who can I pick on? Good to see you back from Florida, my friend. When's your anniversary? February 28th. All right, he was, he was on the spot. He's there. Uh, something that I have learned, uh, my, my anniversary is June 30th. And, uh, I'm kidding. Yeah, so the point is, if he were to say February, what would you say, February 29th? The day after Valentine's Day. February 14th. I, I wouldn't know any of this stuff. I'm the worst husband in the world, clearly. My point that I am desperately trying to make and failing Actually, it does make my point. Um, say your, your anniversary is January 2nd. If you guess January 1st, you won't get any more bonus points than if you just said, you know, sometime in November. Yeah, it's kind of a zero-sum game. You're, you're, you're either on it or you're going to miss it. And, then, you know, almost only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. You ever heard that before? Right, and, and the same thing. It's kind of a zero-sum game. Like, you're either on it. It's all or nothing in that situation. All or nothing. That's when God uh, moves uh, the most powerfully in our lives, though, isn't it? I begin to think of all or nothing situations. Um, you know, if you know the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel, anyone ever heard of that story? Elijah goes to the very top of this mountain, and uh, he is in, uh, in direct combat, spiritual warfare, with these prophets of Baal, of the false god. And so as he begins to pray and cry out to God, he builds him an altar, and, and he issues a challenge and says, that, let the God who answers by fire, let him be God. Which is, you really, if you're going to say that, you really need to have heard from God. Right? But he really gets put on the spot right there. That, that, is, a, uh, that is an all or nothing situation because uh, if, if God doesn't answer that prayer in that way at that time, he is surrounded uh, by, by hundreds of enemy and you know, different prophets of Baal, and they're all crying out to God. Uh, you, 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 better, you better know God shows himself most mightily in those situations. In the times uh, in, in the word where you read and like, man, if that don't work out, then that's going to get real, real weird real quick. It's stretching. It's all or nothing. When Peter's walking on the water, that's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Anybody know about that one? Uh, so now Peter is there in the ship, and they look out, and they see something that looks vaguely like Jesus. And Peter says, uh, hey, 
If it really is you, then call me out to walk on the water. That is an all or nothing situation. And, I don't, and for the longest time, I didn't really even get that. This is one of my favorite you know, stories in the Bible now, but I didn't really get, like, why, why would you do that? Why would you say um, if you don't know? You know? It's like saying, if you're not a thief, then take my wallet and be here when I get back. I'll show you. If you had any doubt in your mind, that wouldn't be the test that you would issue, right? If, if, if you're not a car thief, then take my keys. I'm going to go in the store, and we'll see. And you'll have to... And, if you have any doubt in your mind whether somebody's going to take your stuff, that's, you know, holding my stuff is not really what I'm going to do. But that's what Peter does. He says, um, you know, tell you what, if you're really Jesus, if you're really God, then call me out on the water. And that'll be my test for you. And it didn't really make a lot of sense to me until I finally just realized that Peter was able to put himself in that situation easily by saying, this boat is going down. One way or the other. This storm is too great. And if that's not Jesus, and if Jesus isn't who he said he was, then I'm sunk either way. I might as well walk on water. I might as well. But it's an all or nothing game. Honestly, where a lot of us, you know, if you're here and you're not, you're not a Christian, um, then you know, I don't mean to totally exclude you, but this, this what I'm saying here, excludes you a, a little bit. For all of us who have decided to live this way and have decided to put our, hand, our, our lives in the hands of Jesus Christ and, and trust that he really did resurrect, that he really is who he says he is and did what he said that he did, um, we're all in. Even the Bible says if that's not true, you know, then we're of all men most miserable because we're living this way. We're counting on it. We're sacrificing. We're following him. We're putting ourselves in a position to where that's really pretty stupid if, if he's not who he says he is. You remember the story of Gideon in the Bible? I like to jump around. The story of Gideon. Now, I never thought about that until I started thinking about it in this context of, you know, an all or nothing situation. Uh, you're, anybody remember the story of Gideon? Okay, he is one of the judges in the early part of the Bible, and uh, he, uh, he hears from God, and God says, okay, you're going to go and you're going to fight this enormous army that is just destroying everything in the land, everything that's weight, this huge superpower. You're going to fight them, and I know you don't have even a fraction of their men and the manpower to do it, but go ahead. So he hears from God, he puts out a couple fleeces, finally gets convinced that he is hearing from God, and the next thing you know, he is now hearing from God again. Sometimes you don't want to hear from God. you got to be careful because you might not like what he says. So he said, no, I'm pretty, pretty sure you've got too many people here. Too many people. We're vastly outnumbered. He said, you've got too many people here. So what, what I need you to do is everybody who has any doubt whether or not we can win this thing, anyone who's scared at all, anybody who's chicken, anybody who has any, any qualms whatsoever, I want them to go on home. Which is a really telling thing. And most of the army disappears. And so now he's in really, really, really bad shape. And it's like, I have no idea what's going what's gonna to happen. I don't, I, you know, what, what exact, how well are we going to have to fight in order to win now? And then God says, it's still too much. I still need to push you further out into faith. And said, so now everybody who, who drinks from the brook, by, by put, or from the river, uh, by putting their face down into the water, um, they're going to go, and everybody who does this, can stay. And so if I'm Gideon, I'm sitting there, stop, stop, do this, do this, do this. You know, standing at the water. But God's like, no, you gotta watch it. You gotta watch it play out. And he's like, no, no. And then maybe after the guy finishes and he has to go stand by Gideon, then now that guy's like, why? And he's like, yeah, if you drink like this, you're staying. If everybody else is going, he's like, oh no. 
drink again. So now there's like several of them on the bank, and they're like, and then the next guy, he sticks his face in the water like, boo. Then the next one, he he drinks from, yay. And then look, when it's all said and done, there's 300 left to fight this enormous ten scores of thousands of people. And then, actually, I think this is even kind of crazier because God tells him, here's what you're going to do. You're going to get a horn and a torch and a, a pitcher, and then you're going to cover the torch, the lit torch with a pitcher, and then you're going to blow the horn. Ah, man, because they're circled all around the enemy encampment. So now you're, you're surrounded thousands, tens of thousands of armed men in their camp. There's 300 of you, and you've got a horn. Dude, if I'm that guy, I'm like, yeah. See what happens to everybody else first. No, you got to do it. You got to blow the horn. You got to break the pitcher, too. So you have to, like, just in case they didn't know where you were from the horn, you're now holding a light in the middle of the night, a torch. This is such a, such a terrible idea, Lord. But instead, he, he, he steps out in faith, and he blows the horn and, the, and, and crushes the pitcher and breaks it and then and shouts the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, and you know the rest of the story. The confusion that God causes. They win this enormous, amazing, great battle. And it changes the whole landscape of the entire culture of the, the, the world, really, because this is a superpower they're fighting. Amazing miracle happens. That's an all-or-nothing situation. You know what I mean? What about when the children of Israel came up to the Red Sea? You got Pharaoh's army behind us and nothing but impassable water in front of us. That is an all or nothing situation. The God who has brought you this far is either going to take you all the way through and do this miracle or not. Now I'll say to some of you like people who are Christians, you know, maybe, maybe you know, homers, the people who are, who are from new life, you know, and maybe some who aren't. Some of you don't have much faith because you don't spiritually lift. You don't, you don't spiritually, you don't allow your faith to take you into places that are not comfortable. If you ever want to see the power of God revealed, if you ever want to see Christ revealed, um, allow your faith to take you to places that are hard. Let it take you into all or nothing places. My precious wife reminded me that a few weeks ago. Because, you know, I have faith, and I've seen God heal and do miracles. Um, but sometimes, you know, I'll pray, and I'll say, God, you know, if it's your will, I'd, I'd love to see this happen. And, Lord, heal this person if it's your will. Sometimes we can, we can build ourselves a little caveat, too, you know, and, and say, you know, and that way, if it doesn't happen, it wasn't your will, and I'm good. And I don't lose faith. I don't lose face. And so my wife was praying for the same person that I was. She's actually, she was doing most of the praying. I was, I was kind of suggesting to God yeah, the, the power of, of a spiritual suggestion. That's not a thing. There's power in prayer, power in faith. And so she's praying for this person. And she said, God, I believe, and it is done in Jesus' name. Because she heard from God. 
found out a little bit later that God had healed that person of the thing that they were praying over. And that was just a few weeks ago. But the thing is, guys, if you ever really want to see God move in your life, if you ever want to grow, if you ever want to be the person, be, be the Christian, the faith based person that you're supposed to be. Sometimes you have absolutely uh, got to step up, uh, not worry about saving face and not worry, worry about saving your faith and say, I believe this is a promise of God. What I'm saying is not you know, in contradiction with the word. I am claiming the promises of God in a powerful way. And what I'm saying here, I know that it is right and I know that it's true and I believe that I've heard from God. In Jesus' name, let it be done. And you've got to let your faith take you into places uh, where your common sense will fail you. you got to let your faith take you into places uh, where, where everyone else seems like it's not a good place to go or it doesn't seem like that'll work out. You have to take it into a place where you can be stretched because God doesn't work in the safe zones. Some of you ask him, why is the God not working in my life? Why is God not fixing this, not, not, not doing this? God doesn't, God doesn't work in the shallows. Miracle working faith happens when you launch out into the deep. It's an all or nothing thing. C.S. Lewis said, Christianity, if false, if it's false, is of no importance. And if it is true, it is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Wrap your mind around that real quick. If Christianity is not true, if it's a lie, it's of no importance. It's just like any other wives' tale or fairy tale or, or legend or false religion. If it's not true, it's not important at all. If it is true, and I do believe it is, I know that I know that it is, then it is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is of moderate importance, a little bit important. That's the one thing Jesus can't be in your life. A little bit important. One of the important things. Faith in Christ either stands alone as the center and focal point of your life, or it's not a part of your life. It's harsh stuff, you know, it's, it's, it's challenging, but that's, what did you think was going to happen when you came here? It's true. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. See, that's how Jesus was. Matthew 20, 17 through 19 says, Now Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the 12 disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and to crucify. Third day. He will rise again. That is an all or nothing claim. You, you, you can't be uh, fronting when it comes to something like that. You can't be playing around. You can't be joking. You can't be uh, half committed to what you believe in a situation like that. See, Jesus Christ was all or nothing. He lived an all-or-nothing life. And the all-or-nothing focal point, the very the, the, the center of his existence and his purpose and his life was the resurrection on the third day. Amen? 
his resurrection. It's true, he did many miracles. Jesus really did. He did, he did lots and lots of different miracles. Now, he healed blinded eyes, right? Amazing. You know, he, he healed blinded eyes. Um, but as time went on, those eyes dimmed again. And over time, as that person passed on, died from natural causes, the impact of that miracle, if it stood alone, would be lost. That's true, he healed blinded eyes, but those eyes dimmed again. He fed 5,000 people with just a few loaves and fish. That's an incredible miracle, and I believe in the fullness of, of his miracle working power. I believe it happened just like the word says it. However, that was just lunch. And how many of you know that when supper time comes, it doesn't matter how good lunch was when it's supper time? Right? This miracle doesn't just hinge on itself, the import and the impact of feeding 5,000 people. really does. I mean, you know, that, that, that's, that's not enough in itself. I mean, it's a miracle, but, but people got hungry again. Sometimes, you know, especially Chinese food particularly, you know, like I can eat this and then by the time I get home, like want more of it. Hibachi particularly. Amen. Anybody know what happened to Saki? They're gone. Or the Sakura? They're gone, man. I don't know what happened. You pray, pray them back in. But the point is I can eat that stuff and then literally be ready to eat by the time I get home and heat it up. Heat up my leftovers. Because it doesn't, it doesn't really change you forever. And 5,000 people, what, what, what did it matter if he wasn't who he said he was? The Christ. The, the fulfiller of the prophecy. Man, he even raised Lazarus from the dead. Now you're getting into some pretty dicey stuff. I mean, he, he raised the, the dead back to life. But on its own, just that one thing, would that be enough to really hinge everything on it in the eyes of most people? Probably not. I mean, you got to think about it. Uh, you know, Lazarus, you know, that, that's, his, that's his buddy. And if he were some charlatan, which is a fancy word for fake, you know, some... If he, if, he was, if he was just like, you know, trying to raise up this cult, well, I mean, honestly, you, you wouldn't be able to convince me just with that. I would not join your cult you know, for this. Because, um, I, did you hear? He raised someone from the dead. Like, oh, really? Awesome. Wow, that's pretty crazy. Who was it? His best friend. Mm-mm. I see it except for his friends. Mm-mm. Not quite. See, everything about this hinges on the resurrection. Now, all of these things are true, and they should be enough, you know, to, and I believe them all. But what I'm saying is all of these things were not the purpose for which he was sent, the purpose for which he was born, because he's not the only one in the Bible who, who healed people. You know, the disciples went and healed people. And other people, you know, healed people in the Old Testament. You know, things were happening. You know, as a matter of fact, even the 5,000 people thing, well, technically, you know, wasn't there a prophet who, you know, the oil never wasted away, and then all of a sudden there was lots of oil everywhere. So that's kind of been done before, too. Um, You know, what is different about this Jesus? What is so, so very different about Jesus Christ? 
I mean, he loved the marginalized, and, and he, he broke down racial and social barriers left and right with no care to what the status quo thought. He was amazing in that way. He, did, you know, he, he, would, he would tell parables and stories, and, and then, like, you know, you know, somebody from, like, a marginalized race would be the good guy in the story, and there would be the good Samaritan, you know, uh, who was not the Jewish person. So he was just left and right, and, you know, barriers of sexism and racism and hatred, and, you know, and he loved the poor and the, all these people, the sick, the people he wasn't supposed to talk to. He was all about that. But so have other good men been. Other people have loved and have taught good things. What makes Jesus different then? I mean, yeah, he did. He he sat and he ate with sinners. But did that truly set him apart from every other person who's ever raised up a religion in their name? To be a, a, a good person who loved others? No. And even the effects of that, even though he tried to teach us about the sin of bigotry and hatred and the marginalization of others based on whatever, you know, wealth, status, or color, or culture, or creed, even though he tried throughout the, all the Gospels, you don't have to look very far to see that uh, this world, you know, people still struggle with racism, pride, mistreatment of others, don't they? Even here in America. So that didn't last either. The, 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 five, the food for the 5,000, that didn't really last. The guys whose eyes were you know, made to see, well, he died. Matter of fact, what, what? Lazarus died a natural death after he was resurrected. Well, the way we think about this, the way I'm talking, did Jesus really not do anything to change this world? Is everything that he could have done and did do, is it, is it replicated and easily replicated by, by someone else? When Jesus Christ left the scene, did he leave no more mark than just pulling your finger out of a glass of water? The ripples last for a moment, and then the hole is gone. There's no sign. Is that the story? You know, when it came right down to it, a lot of what he accomplished, maybe it wasn't so discernible from other figures in the Bible or the history and even in other religions what they claim. His sinless life, that was pretty uniquely, um, you know, pretty unique, right? Honestly, the fact that he never sinned, I mean, that doesn't, that set him apart from everybody else, right? Every single other major world, you know, whether it's, you know, you know, Buddha or, or, or you know, whoever it may be, whatever you know, religion, no one else claimed and you know, basically verified you know, a sinless life. But even that, is that enough to hang the entirety of what we believe and what we're here for on, is it? I don't think so. He had a sinless life, but honestly it depends on who you ask because the Pharisees would say that you worked on the Sabbath, Jesus. No, no, no. You're not, you're not, you're, you're a sinner. They would, they, that's what they said. He ate with sinners and fellowshiped with them. He touched the unclean things. People who were, who were sick and, and who had been separated out of society, lepers. 
this woman with the issue of blood. I mean, that, that would have made him ceremonially unclean. So honestly, from the Pharisee's perspective, he doesn't have a sinless life either. You know, left and right, he's doing things. What he said, what he said this time. Jake, did you hear? What he said, he said, I forgive you of your sin. Are you kidding me? Who does he think he is? What a crazy person. Doesn't he know only God can forgive sin? Shame on him. What a heretic. What a blasphemer, the Pharisees said. He said, I'll forgive you of your sin. Are you kidding me? He has not got a sinless life according to the Pharisee. Unless he is who he said he is. Like I said, it's all or nothing with him. Jesus was an all or nothing character. He either is Jesus, and he did these things through the power of God, and he forgave sin as God. He, he was God the Son, and he, he did have the, the authority and the ability to, so he wasn't blaspheming, and he wasn't lying. If indeed he is who he says he is, but how do we know? was an all-or-nothing type of character. His battle in Gethsemane, when he prayed until sweat like great drops of blood leaked down his brow. His crucifixion. See, all those other things that were miracles, uh, they were God-sent, they were powerful, they were anointed, they were ordained, and they changed the world, and they give us lots of, of faith and understanding and teaching. However, he did not come just to heal the blind. He did not come just to feed the hungry. He did not come just to change water into wine. It was all or nothing. See, those 33 years hinged on what would happen at the very end. Everything that had been up to that point hinged on his passion, on that final week and the things that he would do and how he would for once and all prove whether he was who he said he was or not. Let me tell you this, um, especially for Christians in the house. Uh, whenever you do what is the, re the reason that you're here, whenever you take part in uh, the ministry or the purpose that God has given you, whenever you're really in, you know, it, drummers say in the pocket, that means you're, you're, you're right into it, like you're, you're, you're rolling with it, you're, you are in the zone. Whenever you are who you're really supposed to be, I think based on what I read from Jesus, that will be the most challenging and difficult thing in your life. Everything else that you're good at and that was easy will lead you to the place where God has to crucify your flesh in the most extreme way and you have to do what you're called to do. The thing that you were born to do will be the most challenging thing you do in the kingdom. It was for Jesus. I mean, honestly, healing people, I mean, he was, he was tired all the time and you know, it was physically hard, it was challenging, he was walking everywhere, he was doing all this stuff. However, it was nothing compared to what he would undergo on the cross. So I'm saying something important to you. For Jesus, all the other good things that he did, all the other ministry that he did in his life, the most important thing was also the most difficult, and that was the cross. Luke 24, though, 1 through 12 says this. 
Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about the this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments, and then as they were afraid, they bowed their faces to the earth and said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and crucified, and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. And they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the mo- Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves. And he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. I like the fact that it says he was marveling because marveling is not the same thing as wondering. Whenever you really encounter the risen Christ Jesus, whenever you really get a hold of what I am talking about, that you will not wonder anymore. You'll be like, I wonder what happened there. You will marvel because you will know what happened there. You will know that Jesus Christ is alive, that he is resurrected, that he has come back for you and me. Taking the the keys of death, hell, and the grave, you won't wonder, but you will marvel when you have a true encounter with Jesus Christ. Timmy, I didn't have to wonder anymore. I was, I was, I was geeked. I was, I was wowed. I was shook. I was everything but in doubt because I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that my Redeemer lives in that old song. I I know how I can face tomorrow because He lives. All fear is gone because I know that He holds my future and my life is worth the living just because He lives. A real encounter with Jesus will leave you in a lot, a lot of interesting predicaments. But it won't leave you one rose. All is tingling. Oh, he rose. All his teaching, his miracles, his life's work hinged on one thing. Like I said, Jesus, he had a very public trial and execution. It really raised the stakes, kind of like the prophets, kind of like the other stories I told at the very beginning. The stakes were very high. Because everybody, including the Romans, are checking to see if he's dead. They're beating him to death. They're, they're, you know, they, they stab him. They, they crucify him. They mock him. They hoist him up there. They leave him until finally uh, you know, it's verified. You know, and the Romans verify that he is dead. Don't even need to break the legs. Which, by the way, um, is why that we, another reason that we know. Because uh, the word of God says that there wouldn't be any bones broken in his body. There didn't need to be because he gave up the ghost. And I do like the fact that he gave up the ghost because that means nobody took it. Which also means that nobody can take from you your promise. The life that is in you. The life that you have in Christ. No man can take that from you. And it breaks my heart to see 
see what even happened around the world today, but nobody can take away from those precious believers overseas who have perished today, gathered in their churches. Nobody can take away what Jesus gave to them. They may be able to take this mortal life. They may be able to take my body. They may be able to do a lot of things the enemy may be able to do, but it cannot take the promise of eternal life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That you cannot take. Either he, church, actually church, never mind. My friend, who's not a part of the church. We're not some exclusive club. You can get in. We got a seat for you. We want you here. We, we love you. We care about you. This is the least exclusive club in the world. We'll, we'll, we'll beg you to come see a man. Come see a man like no other man that you've ever met. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Come see this man. This is the least exclusive club in the world, man. You're welcome. Matter of fact, I would dare to say New Life Church exists solely for the purpose of people who are not part of it. Not a lot of clubs like that. We only exist to see the lost saved. To grow in grace and grow in faith. To grow in the word and righteousness and holiness in Christ. And to see the lost saved. To see the blind. See again the broken. Restored. Those who are bound to be delivered. Those who are downcast to look up. And to see that he loves you so much. That he willingly gave up the ghost. He gave up. For you and for me. said Jesus was an all or nothing proposition if he had said if he'd called 10,000 angels down take me off this tree I'm out every miracle he ever did every resurrection the resurrection of Lazarus the feeding that it, it wouldn't have changed anything because all those people would still die lost without true hope all he would have done in all those 33 years is prolong an inevitable end for a handful. Jesus was an all or nothing proposition. It was the cross or bust. It was the cross or nothing. It was resurrection or nothing. And so what I tell you, my friend, visitor or person who's here, maybe someone who's been here you know, for years, I don't know, God knows your heart. But I ask you this. What is Jesus to you? Of all the things that he can be, I could take 10 minutes and go across the room and people would have different testimonies of the miracle working faithfulness of Jesus and what he can be to you. Healer, anybody? Provider, anybody else? Friend that sticks closer than a brother? a healer of your heart, a teacher. But of all the things most important, he's a savior. Because I don't need healing like I need the blood of Jesus. If I perish today, 
it's all right. I don't need anything else like I need the blood. That's true. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord, as C.S. Lewis put it. So for some of you who are here today, and I said, I don't know how any more clear I could be, how glad I am to see you and that you came to share Jesus and worship and the word with us. I ask you this question that you rarely think about. Who is he? And who is he to you? For me, I don't have a monopoly on him because I preach or I'm a pastor or I wear a suit on a Sunday. No. I just was once a sinner saved by his grace. And nothing that I did before or since has separated me from his love. Nothing that I have done, I have preached and I have led people to the Lord, preached conferences or, or, or gone overseas. Nothing of that has impressed him. Not that much. Because the value that he saw in me was not in anything that I could do because I can't do anything. Everything good in me is him. Everything powerful or anointed about me is from him. It's like filling up you know, a, a, a cup and then saying that the value of the cup is derived by anything else than what you put in it. He, he's not impressed by the vessel. There's nothing that I could do to deserve it. There was also nothing that I was able to do to make myself less valuable, and that's important. Let's rewind that. Yeah. Nothing that I have been able to do has made me more valuable. But also nothing that I have done has made me less valuable. That's right. You are you. You bear the image of God. He loves you unconditionally. He died so that you can live. Jesus loves you. Isn't that the most trite old saying? Jesus loves you. That's all I'm here to tell you today mistake that you've made, no path that you've gone down, no decisions that you've made have ever caused him not to love you just as much. So I ask you one more time. Good. I forgot my watch, so it is what it is. I'm asking you one more time. Who is Jesus to you? Really, not who's Jesus to your mama. Not who's Jesus to your grandparents or to your uncle or to your, your, your friends. Not who's Jesus to me. Who is Jesus to you? 